Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Guys, listen, I'm really excited for us to be together today and really seek God's word and lean into him and receive from him. But before I get into this message, just have a couple announcements. One, very important today is small group sign up continuing. You can do that on our app. You go to Faith Arvada on our app store and you can find a group that fits you and the manner in which it meets fits you. I want to encourage you. God didn't call you to walk this life alone. You need people to walk it with. You need people to, to take steps and a journey with. And then when, if life goes crazy and it will you need people who you can call and that's what those small groups are for we are not a church that does small group we are a church of small groups and so I just want you to know that get connected if you want to build friendship but also walk in a journey studying God's word or whatever else that you you want we have that available to you so everybody say amen to that also guys just so you're aware next oh sorry September 12th it's a Saturday from 10 to 12 we're going to be doing another citywide food distribution here on the east side as we're going to give out some more boxes of food for our community we want to be a blessing and we want to bless you and we want to we want our neighborhoods to be blessed we want people to know that we're a church that cares for them and we want to put some food in their belly if we can and hopefully a savior in their heart but the purpose the purpose of this is just to be a blessing the people of jesus christ should bless the city that they are in amen right and that's what we want to do. So we have a truck coming. Um, last time, a couple weeks ago, we gave away about 2,000 boxes of food for families. And, and listen, it's, it's free. There's no strings attached. We just want to bless you. So we want to bless you. We want you to come grab a box for your family. Grab another one. Give it, the, give it away to somebody else. In your and just say, hey, listen, we just want to bless you. So we want you to be aware of that. If you want to help, you can send an email to this for Arvada at faith.church. And because we do have some slots, we would love for you to serve and us kind of all do it together be a lot of fun as we serve the community and also I want to remind you our kids first through fifth graders they are meeting in the west gym right now at at, at this service and can we thank all of those who put that together pulled it off it's awesome grateful for that well guys listen we are um, continuing this series called letters to the church and we're looking at the seven churches in Revelation we're looking at the letters that were written to those seven churches through John, but that revelation came to John by Jesus. And so as we've got, gotten into this, kind of my heart in all of this is as we look at these churches that we find our church somewhere in those churches. As we look at these churches, we find ourselves sitting in the, in the seats of those churches. But also we open our ears to hear Jesus speaking to us about our church and about our personal lives. I believe in the Word of God. I believe that it's relevant every single day of your life. I believe it always speaks, always corrects, always challenges, always lifts up, always encourages us. And so we're going to find that as we look at these seven churches. Last week I talked about the the foundation of the church, which which is Jesus, the leader of the church, which is Jesus, the purpose of the church, which is to do the will of Jesus. It's kind of a big deal. And we walk through what it, what it looks like for a church in the middle of persecution, in the middle of pressure, in the middle of, of demands. What does it look like for us to prosper? And what model do we follow? And that is we follow the model that is set in Scripture in the book of Acts. That's the beginning of the church. They were rooted closely to Jesus. And how did they function? We want to function like that. 
because, listen, if we want biblical results, we should probably do a biblical method, right? And so that's what we want to do, and we want to continue to follow the Lord in that. So listen, we are starting, though, in this, this one today, which is the first message in the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. The first book is Genesis, where everything kicked off, God created, and Adam and Eve messed it up for all of us. And from then, we, we are on a journey. And so when we read the Bible, we know that God set a plan into place to redeem mankind, to redeem the earth, to meet us right where we are today and all of those who, who have come before us. But for us as a church, that's, that's the beginning. For us as people, that's the beginning. And then you get all the way to the other end of the Bible, and that's Revelation. So Genesis is how it began, and Revelation is how it ends. And how it ends in a good way for believers, how it ends for people who aren't serving Jesus or the devil doesn't end very well for them. But our job as the church is to make sure that we take as many people as possible to heaven with us. Our job as the church is to communicate the, the message of Jesus, which is he's the only way. He's the one that we need. He's the one that, need, that meets every one of our needs. We, that's our job as the church. It's also our job to equip believers to do what God's called them to do. And so here we are coming to this book in Revelation. Now there are the, the first three chapters of this book are what we're going to be looking at. The chapters 4 through 22, there's a, a, a lot of, um, I believe what it is, it's, a, it's future events. And there's a lot of misunderstanding with the book Revelation. One, the, the word revelation comes to the Greek word apocalypse. Now, what that means is this. The end is near, run for your life, everybody's going to die. That's actually not what it means, actually. But that's what everyone thinks. We're intimidated by the book of Revelation. We're like, man, I don't know. I, I'm scared. I don't want to read it. And it can feel scary at times. But the reality is this. This is all that means, Revelation, is it's a revealing. So if you have something that's unknown and it's revealed, you just had a revelation. So this is the book that reveals unknown things. But it's also the book that speaks to us today. And I, there are lots of images and pictures throughout the whole book of Revelation that are epic and that they're hard to understand. So a lot of people avoid it, but here's the truth. God speaks today. And as we were speaking in the green room, I was, uh, Pastor Nathan and I were talking and he said, you know, he said that the word of God is like a sword, right? It's a two-edged sword. So let's not dull down the sword. Let's let it do its work in our lives. Amen. Let's let it be exactly the way that it is. And we're, let's preach the word for what it says. So listen, God doesn't want you to fear. God doesn't want you to be in confusion. God doesn't, God doesn't want you to, to freak out over all this stuff because you need to know something. God holds your life in his hands. He holds everything about you. And this book was written for us to encourage us and to meet us right where we are. So let's open our hearts and let's let God speak to us today. But before I get into this book, I want you to know something about the author. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, an incredible, incredible man of God. He walked with Jesus from a very young age. Jesus went down to the Sea of Galilee. He called him, said, come and follow me. John was fishing with his family. He left. And he followed Jesus ever since. And we come towards the end of his life in this book, and he's still following Jesus. What I love about John is, yes, he was one of the 12 disciples, but also he was, a part, he was part of a smaller group, three, Peter, James, and John. That Jesus brought close to them. That Jesus allowed them in his life closer as the leader Jesus, but also he had them as his friends. 
And so this whole idea that John had been around Jesus, he was close with Jesus. He had experiences that no other, that other disciples did not have. And this man, John, was committed to Jesus. He preached Jesus. He was all about Jesus. When people told him to shut up, he got louder. When people told him to back down, he, he moved forward. And they hated him so much, the Roman Empire, that they sentenced him to death. This wasn't just a normal death. They decided, let's kill him by boiling him. So they boiled the apostle John. And here's the crazy thing. He didn't die. He didn't die. Listen, they knew how to kill people. This wasn't some act. Like, they knew how to kill people. And he did not die. Well, they did not try it again. So they sent him in exile to the Isle of Patmos with this, this rock in the middle of the sea for him to get away, not not preach anymore. You can't, he can't see people anymore. And they exiled him. But this is a man who knew Jesus. And while he's on this island, his friend Jesus, that had him close to him at the Mount of Transfiguration, as John saw Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, he saw them while he was there. He had his friend Jesus that before Jesus went to the cross, he said, hey, John, can you go and prepare the Last Supper for us? He had his friend Jesus, where when John stood and was watching Jesus hang on a cross, Jesus locked eyes with him and said, John, take care of my mom, Mary. This was a man who knew Jesus. This was a man who intimately understood Jesus. And we find in the book of Revelation, it's what I just love, his, his friend shows up again and they start hanging out. And Jesus gives him this vision. He gives him revelation. And John, as you read it, he's like trying to write things down. It's like he's watching the Lord of the Rings and didn't even know what a movie was. And he's watching like, how do you describe this? And how do you describe that? And he did his best with the vocabulary that he had. That's why there are some things that are uncertain. If John saw something that was going to happen in 2025, how does he describe that with the words that he has rooted back then? So it's for us to understand there are some things that are very clearly known in the book of Revelation. There are some things that aren't totally known. This is my heart in all of this. What God wanted me to know, he made known. What he wanted to remain a mystery, he can do that. He's God. It's a mystery. How about this? Before we start trying to figure out what the mystery is, let's first apply what is very clear to our own lives. Amen? And let's lean into that. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. But Jesus appears to John. And begins telling him about these seven churches. There were seven real churches that John oversaw. The apostle Paul planted many of them, but John oversaw them now in his later years. What I love about this is before he was exiled, John who was old and he was, he, he was still a leader. These, the generation of, this, of these churches were, were People were younger, now they were growing up, and so they were a little detached from maybe what happened when Paul planted them or what happened earlier. And so every once in a while, they would bring John in to these seven churches, and they would have him speak. And so here you have John who is talking about, hey, this one time with Jesus, we were doing this, and he said this. And you had these young people who were like, what, you hung out with Jesus? And these older people were like, yes, that's John, you gotta love him. But he, he continued to affirm the faith of the next generation by telling his first end story about his time with Jesus. And here we have Jesus showing up and telling John these things about the seven churches that he oversees. And this is an incredible, incredible passage today. These are incredible letters to the church and it's an incredible book. 
But I want us to lean in. I don't want you to be scared of the book of Revelation, but I do want to give you some keys to understanding Revelation before we get to the first letter in, for, for the church in Ephesus. So keys to understanding Revelation, the book of Revelation. Let's begin. Number one, Revelation is about Jesus. We forget that we think Revelation, sometimes it's the revelation of the Antichrist. No, it's not. It's a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules, he's in charge, and we can trust that. Amen? That's why it says in the first verse, it says this, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Very important to know this. Because people use this book um, not to find more about Jesus, they use this book to, to, find, um, to make assumptions about many of the types and the shadows and the images and the pictures in this book. But this is about Jesus. I want you to know that. I want you to know that really the whole of the Bible is about Jesus. Jesus is the center of the word of God. Everything points to him. Everything is a narrative around him, going towards him. Everything is about Jesus because Jesus is a big deal. He is the only son of God and he was God's plan for mankind. In the book, he's God's plan for us and we can apply all things. All things are made through him and by him. So when you read the book of Revelation, you should be asking, where is Jesus? What's the saying about Jesus? What, what, what's Jesus doing here? And this is great because I can trust Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The second key to understanding Revelation is this. Revelation is written to the servants of Jesus. So the first verse says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So this is something to us. It's a gift to us from God, from Jesus, from the pen of John. This is for believers. This book is to help us, to prepare us, and to instruct us. The third key in understanding Revelation is this. Revelation is a blessing, not a scare tactic. We need to know that. I want you to understand that. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So this is what the scripture says. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is he who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are they who hear it, take it to heart, what is written in it because the time is near. This is to bless you. This is to encourage you. This is for you to understand that your king and your savior has got you and he is holding you. Amen? So let's get to this first letter to the church. Revelation 2, 1 through 7 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. This is Jesus speaking to John. Write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The golden seven lampstands are the seven churches. Seven stars are the pastors of those churches. I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. That you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And have found them false. You have persevered. And you have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place 
but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the letter to the church. And as we look at this, I want to challenge us for us. Can we see ourselves in this church? Can we see ourselves in the pews of this church? This is a letter, yes, instruction to them, but it's also a letter to us. And I want us to understand that as Jesus is writing this church, he is writing us. And this is a letter that is going to encourage and challenge. But every time one of these letters is written to a church, there's a, there's a compliment that Jesus gives the church. There's a critique and there's a challenge. What that tells me is this, and there's hope for us. That means there's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a church without the critiques that need to be made. There's no such thing as a perfect church because as soon as we show up at it, it's no longer perfect because we're not perfect. And so Jesus is just, he's, listen, there are things that we're going to have to adjust and shift in our lives to continue to follow Jesus. I don't follow Jesus perfectly. Maybe you do. I don't. But there are times I have to make shifts when all of a sudden through the word of God or through the Holy Spirit, he shows me something. He says, Jason, that's not the way you should be doing this. That's not my heart in this matter. That's not my heart towards you. Actually, son, you need to repent of this area because you've drifted a little bit. And that's what we want to do in our own lives. Where has this happened? Where is us as a church? Where have we drifted? Where have we as individuals and our families drifted? And the Lord wants to do something in our lives today. You guys open and ready for that. So I want us to look at the first compliment from Jesus to the church of Ephesus and to us. So he's complimenting them just as though he would be complimenting us about some of the things that we do. But these believers, they lived in a city in Ephesus and they would meet and they would meet in, in large outdoor areas. They would meet house to house. They were modeling the Acts model and so the city of Ephesus was significant. It was, it was kind of like New York or L.A. or London. It was a major, major city. But Ephesus had a problem. The church was in Ephesus, was in the smack dab center of fertility type of pagan religion and worship. So imagine a church following Jesus being in the middle of pagan demonic worship. It was a religion that worshiped sexual reproduction and the culture would pray and make offerings to Diana, the God of fertility, for their women to be fertile, for their crops to be fertile, for their livestock to be fertile. It was a perverse place. There was also perverse sexual statues at the center of the city, and the culture was sensual, sexual, and sex-filled, and that's what it was all about. And sex was worshipped in this society. Sounds a lot like where we are now, doesn't it? But there was a temple of worship. It was a brothel, and everything about the culture was turned to worship the demonic sex god and offered, they offered their own bodies, they offered their own. It was a terrible, perverse city. And God, because he's the God that cares about broken, hurting people, placed a church smack dab in the middle of that. How would you like that? You get, hey, you want to go plant a church? Okay, why don't you go plant it right outside the, the God of Diana, the fertility God, and just tell people about Jesus. You think, I don't want my family to go there. But they did. 
Paul planted this church many years before. Now John was overseeing it. He's one of, he was the overseer of this church. And Jesus speaks to them. He says, I'm proud of you. In the midst of cultural pressure and overwhelming sexualization of society, you're different than society. The pressure to pull back, to give up is there. You, you could focus on other things, but you haven't, and I'm proud of you. And this is the first compliment he gave, which is point one. You have remained faithful to the purpose of the church. Jesus said, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Meaning, they continued to do what Jesus had called them to do. Meaning they continued to proclaim the gospel. They continued to make disciples. They continued to give. They continued to be what a church is supposed to be in a world that's desperate for the church to be what the church is supposed to be. And they kept on keep it on. Jesus said, I'm proud of you. You've worked hard. You've been a light in the workplace as you, you've served Jesus in the different areas of your trade, of your skill. Of your, I'm so proud of you. You haven't backed up. You've kept the purpose of the church. You haven't allowed things to shift. You haven't got fixated on this one little moment over here that you think, hey, yes, I'll go to that. You've actually stayed true to the church. You've remained focused to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's reaching the lost. You as believers have kept the main thing and you've led your families well in the midst of a very difficult culture. You've been very careful to guard your children. You've been very careful to, to, to be faithful and to teach them that church is a value and Jesus is a value and the word of God is a value. And you've done that by your example and I commend you. I compliment you. This is what they were doing. Sounds like a great church. And they were doing some great things. And so he complimented them. Many times when I read this, I think, you know, I, I know there are things that God could compliment us on. And I know that. And I, I'm, I'm desperate to hear that from Jesus about who we are as a church. And I know there are things in my life that God would compliment me. There are things in your life that Jesus would be like, I'm so proud of you. That you, you've done your best in this area. I'm so proud of you that you haven't backed up or given. I'm so proud of you that you're living for me in a world that needs me. And I'm proud of you. And Jesus compliments. And he wants to do that in your own life today. He wants to affirm areas of your life. He's like, I'm proud of you. The second thing that he complimented them on is this. Number two, you have anchored your lives to truth. What he says is this. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You have tested those who claim to be apostles who are not and have found them false. The only way they could have found something false is that they were anchored to the truth. That's the only way. And so he said, I'm so proud of you that you have not only acknowledged, wait a minute, this isn't right. You haven't not only used your discernment, you've used the word of God and then you've done something about it and you've been truthful about something that's, that's wicked. You just didn't let things just go. You actually got wicked people out of your lives, out of your families that were influencing you the wrong direction. These difficulties in the church in Ephesus, on first hand, he compliments them because the pressure from the outside, they are holding strong. Now there's pressure from the inside. There is false teaching. People are... are teaching about certain things, this whole, this whole idea about the Nicolaitans, which I read earlier, who are they? Listen, the Nicolaitans were teaching, they were Christians, and they were teaching you that you need to be more open to the pagan religions around you. You need to embrace their way. You need to not be so rigid in your faith. Be more, be more accepting of their beliefs and their ideas in the church. 
So if you're more accepting, they also would say this, then you, your persecution would be less and you can compromise. That's not, I know Jesus calls it, but you don't have to do this. You could actually even go to the temple and try to win some of them just by being there, make offerings to another pagan God. See, they were saying you can worship Jesus and worship with the world at the same time. The Nicolaitans were deceptive. It was, a, it was a deception that got some of the believers to embrace the ways of the world. They were teaching things that sounded great. Listen, you got, you, just out of love, you have to just embrace whatever that is. You have to embrace that, that it's okay, God still loves them. And you can be near it, and then you can celebrate what God actually in his word calls sin. That's what they were doing. And what's very interesting is that this book says that God hated, not them, but their deeds. Hated them. Hated that. He loved them. He hated what they were doing. But these people in Ephesus were able to discern because they knew the truth. They knew the truth. One of the things that they teach those who, how to recognize counterfeit money is what's interesting, they don't go and study counterfeit money. They don't look at all of the different types. Watch out for this one, this one looks like this one, this. They don't do that. The best tool at discerning counterfeit is to become incredibly familiar with the real thing. It's the best tool. And you become, you become very familiar with the truth. You become very familiar with what it looks like, what it feels like, what it, when I hold it in my hand, what it, and you become so, and the moment that the counterfeit comes across, you're like, hang on, this is different. That's what they were doing. And here's the question, is that what we're doing? Are we holding to the truth? Are we becoming so familiar with it that when something pops up its head in culture that says, this is right, and this is what you should be doing, and this is how you should be acting, we're like, oh, okay. The only reason why you would be drawn away and deceived is because you are not familiar with the This is the world we live in. This is the world that, that, that we are wrestling in, but God wants us to understand you can discern truth. You can discern what is evil by knowing what is truth. So many believers are influenced by bad teaching. They're influenced by, by other directions. And many times it's not the heart because you want, you, you, somehow your heart does not want what God has. So on one end, you have people who are embracing the ways of the world and saying, it's okay. But on the other hand, you have people who are chasing new doctrines and new theologies. Whatever's hot Whatever's moving, whatever, wherever gold dust is falling, wherever feathers or jewels or, or what, bucking and jerking and, and what, what, whatever it is, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to chase that. It sounds great because it's a heart that wants that. But what happens is we begin to chase experiences instead of being anchored to the truth and knowing Jesus wants to meet me. He's the greatest experience I could ever have. And so for us, we need to understand these folks didn't chase after the different things. They didn't chase after what the latest. They didn't chase after getting what nobody else has because I'm going to get that. They didn't do any of that. They remained faithful and true to the purpose of the church. And that is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to be a light in your workplace, in, the, in darkness, to be one who champions what is truth all the times and holds true to that value. 
So my admonishment really for you as we lean into this is for you to know the word. That's why I do my best to equip us with the word. I do our best to equip us with the truth. I do my best not to share my opinions, but to share what the Bible says. And as we do that, we're going to grow and we're, go- we're going to become the church God's called us to be. But the reality is this, you will not get deceived if you are familiar with the truth. Amen? And this church was doing that. The third compliment was this, you haven't allowed your emotions to derail you from your purpose. So they were under incredible pressure. Jesus said, you have persevered, you have endured hardships, and you have not grown weary. You have not allowed your emotions to derail you from your purpose. They had a lot of reasons. They had pressure on this side. They had people persecuting them. They had a government that was after them, and they remained true. They didn't get all hot and bothered and and freak out and get mad about something. They remained true to the purpose. They were facing unique challenges. They refused to bow to the goddess Diana. They refused to bow to the images of the emperor. They were boycotted, they were abused, they were objects of physical violence, yet they endured. They endured. They did not allow their emotions and their feelings to derail them from being what Jesus had called them to be. Here's the challenge, can we say that? I tell you what, we live in an emotional world right now, don't we? But the fact is this, Jesus calls us to stay the course, remain our purpose, do not get derailed, do not chase after the latest thing, do not, do not try to figure out, just stay the course. This church, regardless of the difficult times, regardless of the oppression, they stayed the course. And that is an incredible compliment. As we've leaned into this, as we continue to lean into this, the question is this, can God say that about me? Can Jesus say that about you and our church? Have we gotten distracted because we were so emotional? Probably we have in some areas, but this is a reminder to say, all right, Jesus, let's stay the course. I wanna lead my family correct. I wanna lead my kids. I wanna show my children what it means to be, have pressure from all sides but remain anchored in Jesus, anchored in his truth, not tossed about by every, every post on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, not be tossed about by all the emotional charge. Uh-uh, I'm gonna remain true. I'm not saying those things don't matter. What I'm saying is this, your security comes from Jesus, doesn't come from anywhere else, amen? So here, here's some questions for us. I just wanna ask us some questions. For the church, and I'm going to run through these kind of quick, so, but this is to be thought-provoking and to help us over the next several weeks lean into this further. Are we, as faith, are we carrying out the purpose of the church? That's the question. These are great evaluating questions. These are things I ask often about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Second question, are we anchored to the truth of God's word or are we chasing something? Are we chasing a fad? Are we chasing um, something that's hot? Are we chasing something that's cool? Are we chasing something, something that was? Are we anchored to the truth? Number three, are we allowing our emotions to derail us from persevering? So many emotions. Here's some personal questions for you as well along the same line. Am I being faithful to the purpose of the church? So am I personally being faithful to the purpose of the church that God's called me to be a part of? Am I being faithful to be 
a light wherever I go, wherever I am. Number two, am I anchored to the truth of God's word? Or am I living with one foot in the world and one foot in the church or with Jesus? Am I chasing after the latest fads and getting frustrated that other people aren't? What's going on here? The question is, are we anchored to the, to the truth? Is the word of God a part of our life? Is the word of God the center of who we are? These are real questions that you and the Holy Spirit can wrestle out and you can take steps forward. Next question. Am I allowing my emotions to derail me from persevering? Here's a, just a very, very honest question. Have you spent more time thinking about our culture, politics, society than you have about Jesus? If the answer is yes, then you are allowing your emotions to derail your purpose. So then there's a critique. So there's the, that's the, the, the compliment from Jesus. Then there's the critique from Jesus. Many scholars believe this, that the, the church in Ephesus, when they were planted by Paul, so there was a lot of great stuff that was going on. They were excited and they had a history. And I mean, it's awesome. Like a church being planted in Ephesus is like, what? And the gospel, you know, went and touched people's lives and transformed them. I mean, it was really great. They had a lot of stuff to be proud of. They had a lot of stuff to be, to be um, celebrating. But many scholars believe what was happening is they were living off of the success and the growth of what was. They were, they were living off of what was. They were living off of what worked. They were living off of, oh, this, remember when we did this? They were living off of, remember when Paul showed up and, hey, remember when, when I did this over here? Remember when, and they were disconnected from what they were doing right then. And the problem is this, when you live off of past successes and the past relationship with God, you become spiritually weak and ineffective exactly where you are. Here's a question for us too, really, is are we or have we ever as a church lived off of and not maintained our purpose? Have you ever lived off of what happened and not maintained your purpose? Because you got so distracted about what worked before that you've missed out on what God is doing now. And this is a challenge. But the critique, number one is this, your love for me isn't what it used to be. Interesting, Jesus says, man, you're doing good things. I'm proud of you, you're doing some good things. But please know that your relationship with Jesus is about your relationship with him, but also it's about your actions. It's not one or the other, it is both. And so he was challenging them. He was critiquing them. Have your actions become more of a priority than your relationship with me? Jesus was saying, you've lost the first sense of enthusiasm when you first came to me. Remember how excited you were? Remember how grateful you were that I'd saved you, I'd plucked you, I'd rescued you? Do you remember that? Of course we do. And he says this, you have forsaken that moment. And you've got so distracted with doing that you've missed out on what it means to know me. When I, when I hear Jesus saying these things, I think, man, I, it's like Jesus misses them. And Jesus misses us as well. Areas that we've got so busy doing, that, but we've stopped being and stopped walking in that love with him. And these people who have allowed their love to grow cold had forgotten why they do what they do. They had forgotten the heart of the one who leads them. They'd forgotten that Jesus was the leader of their church. They'd forgotten that Jesus was the foundation. They'd forgotten the purpose. And he was speaking to them. 
that it's all about me. It's interesting that many Christians think the only symptom of a love growing cold for Jesus is sinning. It's that, you know, well, your love's grown cold if you're, you know, smoking, drinking, and chewing, and running with people who do. Shame, your love must be growing cold. Actually, listen, think about this. According to Jesus, you can have an active life, you can be enduring, you can be busy. A church can have programs, prayer meetings, crowds. You can be in this group, you can be in that group. And according to Jesus, your love for him can be cold. Jesus wants your heart. They were doing the right things, but they had lost sight of the one that they were doing it for. I think this could probably be all of us, to be honest with you. All of us have done this. Why did Jesus make this point? Why, is he, why, is it, why are we feeling this sense in, my, in our own lives right now? I'll tell you why. It's because he hasn't, though you may have lost your love in some areas of your life, he has never lost his. His passion for you and his love for you. He wants, yes, he wants your obedience and your actions, but our Jesus wants your heart. He wants you to know him. He wants you, when you wake up in the morning, to know Jesus is near. He wants you to be aware of him every moment of your life. He wants you to draw near in a loving relationship with him. He doesn't want you to get lost in the doing. He wants your heart and he misses you. He loves you. Some questions for us from this point. As a church first, have we allowed any activity or program to become our identity as a church instead of allowing Jesus to give us our identity? Well, you know, how do we know? Let me ask you this. If we were to ask our community and people who have been a part of our church maybe for years or haven't, and we said, hey, what is Faith Bible Chapel about? What would be their answer? Would it be different than they are followers of Jesus? It might be. Our identity is very, very important that we do not lose our identity and what we do versus the one in whom we do it for. The next question for us as a church is this, are we more proud of what we do or used to do than we are of why we do it? Number three, Do our activities exist to accomplish the Great Commission or do they exist to keep us busy or moving an agenda forward that isn't in the purpose of the church? Another question. Do we desire to do what is in the heart or on the heart of Jesus more than we desire for Jesus to do what is in our hearts? Are we more concerned about what I want or are we more concerned about what he wants? These are symptoms of some cold that's, some love that's drawing cold. Last question is this, do people come to our church because we carry out the mission of Jesus or do they come because of another reason? Here's some personal questions for us that you can evaluate and we can walk through. Listen, we're gonna go on a journey, God's gonna meet us, but the Lord loves us so much, he, he is determined to not let us stay the same, amen? He wants great things for you. And this is part of the journey of walking with Jesus. Just let him examine you because he's kind, he's loving, and he cares for you. And he is wanting to be nearer to you. And he's wanting your life 
to be the life you actually want. The personal questions is this. Number one, has what you do for Jesus become a substitute for being with Jesus and growing in him? Number two, does your identity come from what you do for Jesus more than who you do it for? Do you find yourself more frustrated when your will isn't done than when the will of Jesus isn't done? Does your attitude reflect the one, reflect one who has been with Jesus? These are incredible critiques, but here is the beautiful challenge for restoration because our God is the God of restoration. If you've drifted, he's like, I'm going to restore it. If, you, if you've shifted, I'm going to restore it. If, you, if you're not closer, he goes, come on, I want to restore that relationship. If our identity has come from somewhere else, he's a God of restoration. He will and can restore all things. So here's the challenge for restoration, which is straight from Scripture. Number one, remember where you were. Remember where you were that you have fallen from. Remember what that time was like when you were walking with Jesus. Consider how far you have fallen. In other words, think of the time that you were on fire for Jesus. You weren't, you didn't complain, you didn't do this. You were just on fire for Jesus. You couldn't wait to get to church because you loved being with the people. You couldn't wait because you loved worshiping. You couldn't wait to, to be in the moment with Jesus. Remember that moment. And now compare where you are now. Go back to the time. Your relationship with Jesus was what your life was about. Remember what it was like to, to sit there and feel the freedom of Jesus for the first time that he had forgiven you and removed from you the guilt and the shame of your sin, that you are a new person, a new creation, and all the, the response of that feeling of that touch from God is absolute and total devotion to him. Remember that moment. Number two, challenge for restoration is repent of your sin. So as we, as we compare, as we look, where have I fallen? And we say, oh, wow, where did I get off? Where did I start to compromise? Why am I here? And, and I used to be here. here is the, here's the way that you get back. You repent. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. Forgive me. And he says, I've been waiting for you to ask. I've been waiting to be able to bless you. I've been waiting to restore you. We just have to ask. Jesus is saying, if you want to return to that place, just acknowledge I have fallen from it and ask him to forgive you and step back into that relationship. Don't count on the legal formulas or how, many, how much you do and how much you listen. Stop that. Your actions are a result of you understanding your position with God. They're not to be in front of your relationship with God. They're, they're to be a response of your intimacy with him. I'm going to read you a quote from the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Daniel Atkin. He said this, labor is no substitute for love. Purity is no substitute for passion. And deeds are no substitute for devotion. The third challenge for our restoration and for your restoration is this. Return to where you once were with Jesus. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me. He's waiting for us. Return to that first love. Return to that. Do the things you did at first. 
You remember how intentional you were about you spent time with Jesus? You were aware of his presence. You continually had conversations with him. Remember the days that your heart was warmed when your eyes popped open and you're like, good morning, Jesus. You remember those days? You can return there. They were so sweet. They were so precious. Your, your heart was so full of appreciation that how could you save a wretch like me? How in the world? Why would you want to make me a part of your family? Why would you want to save me? I'm so broken and you saved me. I had nothing to give you, but you pursued me. I deserved death and hell, but you rescued me. What a savior you are. Remember those days. Don't forget those days, church. Don't let our fire grow cold. Don't let our emotions get us so freaked out that we don't understand we are children of the living God called to be a church and we will be the church in Jesus name don't let anything rob you of that don't let this distract you don't let don't confuse good works with a relationship with Jesus don't let the world tell you hey if you want to be a good person you should be doing this don't let Teaching or doctrine gets you off of your prize. Don't let it remain true. And let's take a step forward as a church. Hearing the words of Jesus to this church in Ephesus, let's find ourselves in these words. Let's find ourselves in this place to be what Jesus has called us to be. I don't have a whole lot of emotional attachments. I just have my personality. I love change. I, I like creative and creating things. I do. And the, I try to do my best in my life to say, Lord, do you want to do something new in my life? Do you want to get something out of my life? The areas of pride. Are the areas that I need to surrender to you? God, have I drifted from my first love? Of me doing this, have I forgotten why I do it? And there are days he's like, yeah, you have. But if you would just have a daily conversation with him, say, Lord, examine my heart. Lord, examine me. You know what that's called? It's called a relationship. I, I don't, I'm not attached to methods or systems. I try to do my best to attach myself to his voice. What he says, I'll do it. So as we, as the pastoral team, as we lead our church, we, we, we don't look at our church through the filter of what was or even what is working. We're always thinking, Jesus, is this what you're saying? Jesus, is this what you want? Jesus, will you, now are we going to miss it sometimes? Yeah, we will. <laughs> But we will quickly say, Lord, oh, sorry, that wasn't, let's do this. Let's lean into this area. People whose love has grown cold are obsessed with methods, systems, programs, what was. People whose love is close to Jesus says, I don't care about that. I just care about Jesus. If we can do something that carries out the work of Jesus, let's do it. 
If it doesn't work, let's stop it. If it's the wrong time, let's get away with it. If it's the right time, let's start it up. Let's, like, those are people who just, they're with Jesus, they're hanging out with Jesus. God wants us to be on fire, white hot in our personal lives, that we can hear him, direction for our family, direction for, for, for whatever God is saying. This is what Jesus wants. He says, you're doing a lot of good stuff to this church, and I believe to our church. And then he makes this statement, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Is that us? Is that me? If it is, let's take the steps of restoration and let's put him back at the center of our lives and our churches. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for the power in which your word speaks to us. Lord, I recognize today that you are speaking to us. You are challenging. Lord, today we surrender our lives. God, we surrender what we do, why we do it. We give it all up. We surrender full, our full lives fully to you. Lord, today, I sense that you're moving in this room. There are many people who, through your Holy Spirit, you've acknowledged and pointed out that our love has grown cold. We have forsaken our first love. So today, Lord, we evaluate how far we've fallen. We see what happened and what changed. We repent and then we are restored back to that relationship with you. May we return again to the days we couldn't wait to be with you, to talk with you, to read your word, to be used of you, to be at church, to be around other believers, to worship you, to give sacrificially. Lord, let us return to the place where you are the only thing. You are the only thing that matters. And everything else in our life is a response from our relationship and intimacy with you. Lord, we just commit our lives fresh and anew. We commit our families. We commit this church. And we thank you for your grace and your kindness to us. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you're here today or joining us online and you would say, I don't know Jesus. And I need to give my life to him. Because I recognize I don't know him. If you want to give your life to Jesus, nobody's looking around. I'm just going to ask you right now, every, every eye closed, I want you to raise your hand right now and give your life to Jesus. You can do it right in your seat. Don't let this moment pass. Hold it up high so I can see you. This is your moment. This is your time. Anyone wants to give their life to Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Anyone else want to give their life to Jesus? We're going to pray a prayer with you today. We as a church are going to do it. And I want to encourage you that as you pray it, the Bible says that if you, if you pray these words and believe what they mean, if you put your trust in Jesus, you will be saved. And let's all pray it and let's lift our voices, church family, and let's pray with those that this is the first time they've prayed.
Let's do that together. Say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner and that I need you. I confess that I need you. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to come into my life. I give you everything that I am. And I commit my life to you. I commit my future to you. I commit my past to you. Thank you for making me a new creation. And from this moment forward, with your help, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand today. Thank you, Jesus. If you gave your life to Jesus, very, very important. Text saved to this number that's on the screen. It's right there on your screen as well, online. Text saved, and we will give you your next step because it's, you cannot walk this alone. We want to help you in this journey. Let's all stand to our feet. And I'd like to bless you as you leave today. If you could just lift your hands as just a sign of surrender to the Lord. Lord, today, I pray and I bless every person in this room, every family, everyone joining us online. Lord, I ask that you would go before them, that you would keep them. Lord, I ask you that you would heal any marriage issues or fractions, any relational issues between children, between mother and daughter, daughter and mother, father and son, whatever that is. Lord, we, today we ask you to meet us right where we are. God, I pray that you would restore everything the enemy has stolen from these people. God, I ask you that you would reveal to them that you are for them, you are on their side, and you are working on their behalf, even if they can't see it. Lord, today may we leave here with a fresh assurance that we are going to rekindle that close relationship with you. So God, I'll bless these people and their families. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen.